and Galadriel is the warrior, it's like you do realize that's not the original character. Like that's right. Why? Wh- wh- like wh- <laughs> I'm just so confused. <laughs> All right, last weekend I did something bad. And I think I did this bad thing because I fundamentally hate myself and I enjoy pain. And that thing is, is I watched The Rings of Power. Oof. I watched The Rings of Power. Um, so I contributed, I contributed a view to it being one of the most viewed premieres, I think, of all time. Is that right? Amazon, I, did, I did not I know that. So, wow. okay. so I, I contributed to that. I, I, tr- I tried to watch it, but Sarah was on the couch like flailing, like, I don't want to but I, I watched it and I had a notepad out the whole time taking notes about what I disliked about it and, and you know, perhaps some fair points about it as well. Um, you know, they try to portray Gladriel as, as a warrior, which is opposite of, in a sense, of what she is in the original mm. series. And immediately people might think that's the problem, right? So she's a warrior and you have a problem with the fact that it's a woman in a masculine role. And I don't think it's quite that it's there is a female warrior archetype but typically that's sort of in my mind a the amazonian type right yeah warrior woman but she is more depicted as uh close to like wisdom personified Mm -hmm. yeah like traditional femininity exactly um yeah beauty exactly and this so this might be a weird example but Archetypes are sort of ageless and timeless. They, they almost appear on the scene and you don't know where they came from or where they're going, but just they, they, they appear, they fulfill a role, and then they disappear. Mm-hmm. You, know, you think of uh, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. He kind of just appears. We don't know really anything about him, yep. but he, he fulfills the role of the wizard and disappears. Same thing with uh, Galadriel. Same thing with Obi-Wan in the original Star Wars. Mm-hmm. This is perhaps a weird example, but... I was thinking of Melchizedek in the Bible, Hmm. you know, so in Genesis and then in Hebrews. So in Genesis, you know, Abraham goes out to war with, I think, the king of Sodom, and he's victorious and he comes back and it says that Melchizedek, the king of Salem, a priest of the high, of of God, the most high, comes to him and offers bread and wine. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he kind of disappears. Mm -hmm. Abraham gives him a tenth of his portion or whatever. Later, in Letter to the Hebrews, he's interpreted as eternal. Uh, he has no father, no mother. He has no sort of lineage. He just appears, and, they, and, the, and the author to the Hebrews says that that makes him eternal. Yeah. And right now, we're sort of in this, like, obsession with backstories. Like, even Willy Wonka yeah. is giving... Is giving uh, right. you know, it's, like, it's like, who's next, the Hamburglar? Right. You know, yeah. like, he's going to get a backstory? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... It's like, well, the, the importance of the archetype is not their origin and not their backstory. It's kind of that, the snapshot of what they fulfill. Yeah. You know, Gandalf is old, so therefore it implies that he was once young. You know, yeah, yeah. And, you know he sure. exists, so therefore he must have some sort of parentage. Right. But that's not what makes him important. The same thing with Gladriel. It's right. not that she was once young and that she was once a warrior, but it's that she was sort of this Virgin Mary... Uh, Lady Sophia, Lady, you know, wisdom yep. incarnate. That's what made her significant, or part, of, or part of the reason yeah. that made her significant in, yeah. in the original Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it seems like. Uh, I mean, there just seems like a loss of understanding that role, uh, because you know, if you're looking at it, if you're looking at the original Lord of the Rings and being like, "Oh, the Fellowship were all men." And so the story is really about them. And so therefore these women are like side characters and not important. And therefore we need to give them the proper role, which is only masculine in their view. So it, it seems like you, you lack the understanding of what Galadriel was and what important role she had to play in the story. It's not, she's not just like a, well, this is what we think of women and they shouldn't be um, looked at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we just, cast them aside and there'll be side characters because, you know, women exist. So we got to say something about them as opposed to being like, this is how women operate. They operate in the shadows. And, and, you know, it's like that, um, uh, my big fat Greek wedding thing where it's like, 
you know, he's the head, but I'm the neck. Yeah. And I was like, that, that's real. Like, it's, right. it's a real thing that, like, sh they operate in the shadows to, to kind of move society. Yeah. Um, and that's an important role. Everybody can't be the head. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I see that flipping of the Galadriel character as just kind of a, a, a core misunderstanding of femininity. Yeah, and I think as it relates to fantasy, um, speaking of Lord of the Rings, uh, fantasy is supposed to uphold archetypes. Uh, you know, and more than any other uh, genre of fiction, fantasy is supposed to put archetypes on full display. And so this is why typically, and, and I know um, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, the books, uh, they were criticized in a sense because uh, of not being realistic to human nature. Um, I know that that was a, uh, Peter Craves had a talk on Lord of the Rings and he said that uh, when he talks about Lord of the Rings in his classroom, a lot of students will say, Oh, these are just uh, uh, stereotype, stereotypical, uh, you know, uh, characters. Right. But Peter Craves, I remember, responded like, "No, no, no. These are archetypes, and there's, there's a difference. And when you're dealing with fantasy, again, you're supposed to put those archetypes on display, which is why I think um, deviate a little bit, but I'll get back to Lord of the Rings, like Game of Thrones. While it's more realistic in its depictions of human nature and uh, ugliness, um, it doesn't work as a fantasy uh, in the traditional sense. And in a lot of ways, I think uh, Game of Thrones is the anti-Tolkien, where Tolkien is upholding archetypes, upholding uh, virtue, right? Whereas Game of Thrones is subverting all of that. Mm. And it's not really upholding archetypes. It's good versus evil is muddied, you know? There's not a lot of... Uh, uh, it, the, the morality is uh, deadened. It, it feels it's like, oh, this is so realistic. It's like, yeah, but what's the role of this story? You know, like, how is it, how is it affecting you in a way that uh, fantasy should be affecting you? You know, as it relates to Lord of the Rings, when we see these archetypes on display, even uh, the masculine and feminine, those are symbols, right? Those are, those are not just um, arbitrary uh, accidents uh, attributed to characters like it's just an accident that Aragorn is male we can just make him female and he would you know act the same way no 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 like good fantasy understands its archetypes and understands the symbols and this is why I think the fellowship is all male yes the females are somewhat in the background but they're actually fulfilling the original feminine archetype slash symbol by, like, Galadriel is supposed to be this, uh, you know, uh, archetype of beauty. She kind of inspires the fellowship to continue. Same thing with um, Rosie Cotton, right? Sam's uh, wife. Right. He is, uh, she is um, almost like a sub-Galadriel in the sense that that's what motivates Sam mm -hmm. to, you know, endure yeah. uh, his suffering. It's his Beatrice. You know? It's his Beatrice, in a sense. And, and when he's on the slopes of Mount Doom telling Frodo, remember the Shire, Sam, I'm sure, has in mind uh, Rosie Cotton. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's like playing with the original archetypes and symbols of feminine and masculine really well. And it's not to say one is better than the other. Yes, the male, you know, the, the, the masculine archetype goes out and um, pierces. Right. There's a sense of that adventure. But that's no less important than the woman who actually inspires. Right. It, it almost it makes the male characters and archetypes and symbols uh, it gives them reason to go out, right? right? If there was no feminine beauty, if there was no nature, mm -hmm. then what's the point of saving the world, <laughs> right? You would say that like the masculine is the image and then the feminine is the frame. Yes. You yeah, know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, yeah. like you can't forget yeah. that, that there's a whole right. thing, that there's there's a thing that encompasses the whole thing. Yeah. It, it fills the house. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I think the new Gladrill is supposed to be a little bit more interesting. You know, the warrior type again, and it kind of masculinized in that way. And they were hoping that because now she can take down a troll by herself, that's more interesting. She's scaling uh, right. the side of a, of a cliff. That's more interesting. She leads the troop of, I think mostly, you know, male elves into, uh, into darkness mm -hmm. in, in pursuit of Sauron. That's interesting. And that's powerful. But sticking at least with just the movies, when they first encounter, when the Fellowship first encounters her, she is hard to look at. Yeah, yeah. Like all the the fellowship is almost scared. Yeah, of her, mm -hmm. and she doesn't have a sword. 
She has no power in a, you know, a traditional masculine sense. She's just, it's just her presence is so much that Boromir doesn't even look at her. Like yeah. almost all of the fellowship is like spying at her out of the corner of their eye. Yeah. Because she's such a powerful figure to behold. Yeah. But in the feminine sense. And it means she's so intuitive that she reads their minds. She right. doesn't even just get a sense about them. She can actually like reach into their mm -hmm. minds. Um, and each one of them sees a different, almost in a different gladrial. You know, Boromir's afraid. Um, Frodo's sort of in awe. Um, Aragorn bows his head. Yeah. Gimli falls yeah. in love. Yeah, Gimli falls in yeah. love. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, uh, perhaps Sam is looking at her and thinking of Rosie. You know, it's, yeah. it's, she doesn't even need to lift a sword. And that's the power of the feminine. And the is it never, yeah, exactly. It never lifts a sword. Mm -hmm. exactly. It just like exists. Uh, you know, I, I think of all the times Peterson's talked about, you know, the feminine as the judge and, you know, how men are f so fearful of women. Mm -hmm. And it's true. And it's not yeah. because of any sort of physicality. It's because just their mere presence is judging them. And that's, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what Dostoevsky's phrase, beauty will save the world, means. Is that just by beauty's presence, and it's, you know, that's personified in the archetype of the feminine, that is enough to change the hearts of men. And if that changes the hearts of men, and men are like what enacts change in the world, you know, archetypally speaking, then behind that, like you said earlier from the, um, you know, uh, my big fat Greek wedding, uh -huh. you know, the woman is the neck, right? Yeah. There's some truth to that. Um, that like, yes, they're not seen in, in the shadows uh, symbolically, but that doesn't mean that they're any, again, less important or not actually active in a sense right so yeah i think i think it's important to realize what um what should have been per se i guess you could say that um as opposed to what is in in these films like in the in the rings of power um i know a lot of uh like art critics get a bad rap for just being critical you know mm -hmm. and and it, it's easy to like shit on something that's new and modern because it's new and modern sure. and that's like the conservative mm -hmm. uh tendency to be like oh the new ways suck and these kids don't understand um but the nuance is that you can do that if you understand what should be there instead as opposed to just saying it's modern it's new whatever so yeah you know like the common trope at least in my field is like you know new modern music sucks like rap music is is like not good music or whatever. It's like, I don't, I don't buy that. Like I love the last Kendrick album. Um, but I don't like all rap that's coming out now. And mm -hmm. I, I have just as strong as a critique of that than I, as I do, you know, with, with films and such, because I know I understand things like archetypes and I understand how, um, our art should play a role in society. Mm -hmm. And when you don't see that, then that's an honest critique as opposed to just feeling like it's modern and therefore it's, it's other. And you have that like high disgust factor and conservatives. Sure. Um, yeah. So I think, I feel like there's a good point to be made that um, you want to be careful critiquing modern things just out of the mere response of disgust yeah. because it's foreign to you. And it's like, wait, 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 like why? Like what, what should be there instead? And just yeah. kind of understanding that in a deeper sense. Yeah. It's, um, it's a difficult um, line to, to, um, tread because on one hand you know and we've talked about this before but artists they want to be authentic and original but at the same time you know like for example this uh, Rings of Power movie it's like they're trying to do something different and it's supposed to be responding to the uh, the um, you know the, the the sense of the culture that like what we're going through right now but like I think a good critique of that would be like well you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just stick to what works, right? Stick to archetypes. <laughs> if you want a classic story, stick to archetypes. But then the question becomes like, okay, I'm sticking to archetypes. How do I tell a new story, right? Yeah. Um, and that gets into the whole, like, you know, the subjective experience of the objective. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think uh, there's in an effort to be so new and original. They're, um, they're disrupting what makes art good. Um, and which which is the subversion of archetypes and the very foundation of stories, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and this is like Joseph Campbell's um, even the title, "A Hero with a Thousand Faces." It's a thousand faces, but it's at, at its core just one story, right? right? It's it's one hero, mm -hmm. one story. Um, so that's always a trick with art. Is like, how do you maintain that oneness, that that 
singular story that's been said a thousand times mm-hmm. and make it new. Um, right. right. So. And, and I think the Rings of Power, on one hand, is trying to tell the, the, an origin story. I, you know, I really do think that because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's young Gladriel, young Elrond. I think there's even perhaps a young uh, Gandalf that might, might appear. The baby Gandalf. Right. Ex- yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think that they're trying to tell a compelling story. Yeah. You know, it's like, where did all these characters come from? That's, that's interesting. But in, in that, they lose, again, the, the eternal nature of the archetypes. That what made, what's really important about them is the role that they fulfill in that period of time, mm-hmm. not so much where they came from. Yeah. So I, I applaud them for trying to make something interesting, right? Like they're trying to show uh, that clearly Gandalf truly didn't come from nowhere, but in that you lose what he, he, he was the wise old man. He was the wizard. Yeah. And you know? if, you know, again, if, if stories are meant to be uh, fantasy stories are supposed to uphold uh, archetypes and symbols, then what, you know, what are you doing by giving Galadriel the symbol of traditional femininity? Uh, what are you doing giving her masculine traits? Like, what does that say to the archetype of the feminine? And this is, this is not just, rings of power but really a a problem at large that society thinks that in order for women to actually be up to snuff <laughs> with men they have to embody masculine archetypes yeah but because naturally speaking they they can't uh you know by and large men are physically stronger uh than women uh it, it comes off as i think on the face of it it might come off as a uh, that's neat. Look at that woman doing these male traits or masculine traits or embodying these masculine traits. But then it doesn't really last because the symbols are dissonant, right? The, the Like, here's a frail woman, beautiful woman, who's, like, flipping over trolls and <laughs> taking down, you know, like, beating yeah, yeah. armies of men. Yeah, And yeah. it's like, it might look cool on the surface, but deep down inside, I think we're like, this actually doesn't resonate with me, right? Because yeah. yeah. she's not embodying the feminine archetype. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's, it's a kind of a devaluation of, of the feminine. Uh, of the feminine. Like yeah. I said, Gladriel in the original was very powerful, yeah, but yeah. not in a masculine sense. Again, I do think there is a female warrior archetype for sure, but mm-hmm. it's it's particular. Again, it's it's the yeah. Am, it's the Amazonian woman. Mm-hmm. It's it's Gina Carano yeah. who. Yeah. Was actually a fighter. Right. That's why yeah. she plays tough roles, is right. because she actually did these things. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then it's not arbitrary either that the 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 female warrior comes from something like the Amazon in like the upside down world, you know, on the southern hemisphere. Like all, all of mm-hmm. that matters. And so like you can't just put one thing instead. You can't just make all women warriors in your films and it's like, oh, this is the Amazonian archetype. It's like, well, is there a portrayal of a type of upside downness or like what's going on? Like, um, what is that movie? Uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah I feel it, like her, Wonder Woman is supposed to be like that was, yeah, her role was very like you, there were still a lot of feminine archetypes coming through, like even traditional feminine archetypes of her of her love for children and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel like they found a good balance in trying to portray that. Even letting the hero go and like do his own thing. Like, yeah, there's like a motherly archetype there, you know. So, yeah. Um, right, right, and like I said, you yeah. find those throughout the world in different places. You know, I think was it the Valkyries. Yeah, or like shield maidens, you have mm-hmm. kind of in Scandinavia yeah. and yeah. such right. like that. But it's again, it's particular, and I and it's not particular, in my opinion, to Gladriel. Mm-hmm. It was actually would be better to do Elrond. Was 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 what oh, I yeah, thought because yeah. he's at least in the movies, st- just sticking to the movies. Mm-hmm. He's introduced as a warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, right. and, and the Battle of Mount Doom is yeah, yeah. there. Um, but God forbid you have another male role. Right, right. Well, That's in this one, he's kind That's of like a he's kind of like a nerdy like politician. Like he's like <laughs> writing a speech for one of the like head elves, and um, oh, yeah, yeah. he's yeah he's into like the the politics of Rivendell and everything like that. And I'm like, well, I mean, he's a, he's a warrior too. So young <laughs> well, Joe Biden. Right? <laughs> the 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 discontinuity is just mind blowing because you have Elrond like being this nerdy politician, and Galadriel is the warrior. It's like you do realize that's not the original character. Like, that's... Right. Why, 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 like, why? <laughs> I'm just so confused <laughs> how this is, like, they res- like this is Lord of the Rings in um, appearances only. Right. Um, yeah. 
Like, just yeah. tell a new story. Right. If you want to, like, tell this story, fine. This is not Lord of the Rings. This is not right, Tolkien. Right, right, right. It's so confusing. Yeah. I, this is, I, I think this is the issue with the origin stories is you can always argue that, well, this is what they were. Yeah, that's true. Like. That's fair. You yeah. know, I think even the actress who plays Gladriel um, was talking about how in the original Lord of the Rings, Gladriel is very calm and serene. It's like, well, how did she get there? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, because she went through trials. Lots I, of therapy. Well, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. She had to kill a like ice troll or whatever it yeah. was. Um, you know, so she had to be a warrior before she could become, I guess, uh, the a, symbol of beauty. Or yeah, whatever. the symbol yeah. of beauty. So, and the same thing. It's like, well, Elrond became a warrior only after maybe a dissatisfying life of politics or yeah, something. Uh, so, you know, again, you can we, always force. You can always force a character into. Where they need to be for future right. roles, exactly. Yeah, um, trauma like events. Mm-hmm. I don't know, right. um, but it's just, um, yeah, it's a little upsetting. And and the, the the reason why these things get traction and they're popular is because it's just a bunch of fan service. You know, it's like yeah. I remember that name. Mm-hmm. It's like oh look, an elf mm-hmm. like the two thousand three movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like yeah, yeah. Who, <laughs> same thing with Star yeah. Wars. It was like ooh lightsabers. It's like okay, yeah. but you're subverting all the things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, man. Speaking I got, of, um, I got a little passionate there for a second. It's all right. <laughs> Take a break. I was upset. <laughs> um, speaking of things that are kind of upsetting, um, <laughs> you guys heard the uh, the Biden speech. Yes. Um, what was that? A week ago now, or a little bit Actually, longer? I think it was. I think uh, it was last Thursday. Mm-hmm. I think around there. Yeah. yeah. Um, we had we had discussed it a little bit um, outside of this and talking about kind of the idea of projection. You know, this has kind of been the big thing that came from it of like, you know, he's saying the the MAGA right is uh, calling for civil war or what have you and calling for violence and that's unacceptable. And then, like, you know, meanwhile, it seems as if they're projecting kind of the same thing that's been going on in their side. Right. Um, And it's just kind of an interesting phenomenon to watch um, in terms of the idea of projecting. Um, And I I know, Lee, you had some notes um, that you wanted to kind of just go through in terms of like union projection and stuff. I thought that was all yeah. super fascinating. Yeah. Cause right after the speech, the main thing I was seeing from commentators on the right or conservative or Republican, whatever you want to say was they kept on saying, this was a speech of projection. This is pure projection. So then it's immediately I was thinking about Jung and projection and projection is a, for Jung is a automatic and unconscious product. You know, you, mm-hmm. you know, if it's, if it's conscience, uh, if you're, you're aware of it, then uh, it can't be projection. It means you're right. purposely creating yeah. an image. Right. But projection is something that you do um, unknowingly, and you create, he says, um, imaginary relationships. And what allows you, in a sense, to create these imagination or these imaginary relationships is that you don't have any real relationship to them. Mm-hmm. That you don't actually know the object or the person. That you isolate them away from you. And you're able to create an illusion of them, in a sense. And I think that's becoming an increasingly uh, alarming issue, you know, especially with uh, just how interconnected we are and also how disconnected yeah, quote we actually, unquote connected. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. yeah. then you go online and on, on any social media, anywhere, you know, <clears throat> and somebody leaves a comment supporting Trump or supporting Biden, mm-hmm. and it's just immediate like, vitriol. <laughs> Of yeah. who this person is, but if you don't know this person at all, mm-hmm. you, you you know you don't know anything about them, uh, and you know Jung says that uh, there's kind of two forms of of uh, of of projection. You know, there's um, this kind of passive one, which is uh, almost akin to falling in love, and then there's the active, which is something more like empathy. And I think this is very much the unconscious passive form. Um, right. Uh, of of trying to take what's going on within oneself and putting it on another. He says mm. that kind of frees you of responsibility. Mm. Is that you can whatever's going on with you, you can put it on another, and you can assure yourself that if there's anything wrong with the world, it's somebody else, mm-hmm. somebody else to blame. And that's I think what conservatives were trying to get at. I think yeah. they were trying to yeah. say like, well, you know, he was talking about political violence. Mm-hmm. He was talking about election deniers. Yeah. And it was like, well, they're the threat to democracy. Yeah. 
without, and I think the right's response was, but you have engaged in political violence and election denial yourself. So this yeah. is why you're projecting. And this is, I've just, this is what's really frustrating about politics is because essentially it gets into this game of like pointing fingers and saying, no, you, no, you. And it's the same point that each side is trying to make in reference to the other. And I'm just, I don't know. I was really dismayed. I was hoping that, um, I don't know. I feel like Republicans need to stop pointing and saying, like, yes, call out, you know, the, mm -hmm. the BS that's going on. But at the same time, like, point out what's good about the party, right? It's not all about, like, they're doing a horrible job. might be true, but it's like, what are the core yeah. values yeah. Of, of your own party, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, a, bri yeah, uh, a byproduct of this is people are now voting against and not for. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, exactly. So, yeah. exactly. So now it's, you know, why should you vote Republican? Well, you should vote against Biden and... This is and Republicans want to talk about what's wrong with Biden, yeah. and then vice versa. Why yeah. should you vote? Yeah. You know, for Biden, well, it's actually against. You saw whoever, that. You know, I mean, in this election, that it was like the I think the largest percentage of like the the top of the ticket being switched, people would vote for Biden, but then the all the way down vote Republican. They're just like mm -hmm. just not Trump. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying. And it, right. it, exactly. it seems like there's a reactionary voting as opposed to kind of. And this has been um, the case for decades i mean smear campaigns is nothing new right yeah and so you know you just say like look how bad of a, uh, of a job this guy's yeah, doing yeah um at least i'm not that yeah it's that like, is the political game yeah um i have a i have the book flight from women that we're reading because there's there's something that's related to this um i wanted to read um like you were saying of just like pointing fingers the no you problem yeah um so Carl Stern is talking about the like the problem of psychologizing things, of just saying, uh, you know, well, this theory came out because this person has daddy issues, yeah. and that's why they think this way. Um, so he says, he says, it's just as easy for me to show why Nietzsche reduced Christianity to resentment, just as easy as it would be for me to show why Nietzsche reduced Christianity to resentment, it would be equally easy for me to show why I reject his theory. But... So the idea is that, like, you could say Nietzsche thought Christianity was, you know, fetishizing uh, resentment and, uh, like, lower status, suffering, uh, because he had daddy issues. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, no, actually, the reason you think that of Nietzsche is because you have mommy issues. It's like, yeah. well, no, actually, the reason why you think that of him and why he thinks that of Nietzsche is because you have daddy issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You just keep pointing all the way down, um, and it goes into infinity. And so it's the same thing with, like, well, you deny elections. It's like, well, no, you deny elections. It's like, no, but you denied the last elections, like, and, and the last one before that, yeah. and the last one before that, and, and political violence. So it's like, when's it going to stop? Yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it always becomes a reaction of something that happened, and the alternative to that is a response, right? So it's like reaction versus response, responsibility. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, someone's got to say the buck stops here. We certify all elections. Like, we're a democracy. Yeah. Like, it's fair. They won. Right. We lost. We try harder next time. This is politics. Yeah. Like someone's got to do that. And it's kind of this um, almost like a giving of sacrifice uh, of power, um, with kind of the destroying the ring, the ultimate power thing. It's, it's that uh, the idea of responsibility being like for the people and not for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, someone's got to be a kind of self-giving political figure to be like, there is legitimacy on the other side. And we have to like reach over in order to, to access that. Yeah. Right. Right, and it's, I felt like with um, you know the 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 main the the part of Biden's speech that's kind of making its rounds uh, is when he talked about the MAGA Republicans, and he tried to he tried to make it seem like like that's just a small percentage of Republicans. Um, there's a lot of Republicans um, that are in the middle ground, yeah. but the way he worded it was he said there are Republicans that. Uh, are willing to work with me. Yeah, right. And so the implication there, I think this might have been a subconscious, but I think the implication there was there are some Republicans that have Democratic te Democrat tendencies. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, like w willing to work right. for me. But then, so he immediately categorized them into two groups, Republicans. Right. It's like MAGA radicals or Republicans who are 
really that, kind of Democrat. Yeah, that yeah. agree with my agenda. So yeah. it's like, what say you of the people that disagree with you? Yeah. Can you operate in a functioning country? Or the, you know, the, how many them? million people voted for Trump? Yeah. Are they all MAGA Republicans? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You it's know, a, defini- a definitional question. Yeah. Of yeah. Like yeah. Who is a MAGA Republican? Right. You know? um, I wouldn't say, you know, I'm a MAGA Republican. Right. Um, but I didn't vote Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right. Um, yeah. right. I don't know. Um, right. Yeah, I feel like th- those distinctions are so important. Because yeah. when people are listening to that, they just categorize a whole group. Millions of people are now like this. Yeah, like the leader um, of the free world saying that. That's kind of a yeah, big deal. It's, it's, a, it's you know. a big deal. And it's if you're not careful with those with your speech, you're not making distinctions, like you can really influence swaths of people to think a certain yeah. way. And it's it's dangerous. It's dangerous words. Those um, dangerous words. Kathy Griffin had a tweet uh, speaking of projection. Uh, she said <laughs> If you don't want a civil war, vote Democrat. And if you want a civil war, vote Republican. To which Tim Poole responded, like, so if Democrats win, the Republicans will not start a civil war. And if the Republicans win, Democrats will start a civil war? Like, yeah, is that what you're saying? Because <laughs> right. it sure sounds like that's what you're saying. Uh, so it's just that, that whole like subconscious projection thing is just so fascinating to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another aspect of projection uh, for Jung is it's you don't just kind of project vaguely, but usually project a certain uh, archetypes of the collective unconscious. So you'll project your anima if you're a man. Mm. You'll project um, your thoughts of what an ideal woman is onto your wife or uh, vice versa if you're a woman, uh, the ideal man. Uh, but another archetype is the shadow. Mm. So mm. these the shadow is typically perceived as negative, but you know, with Jung, it's very complicated because everything is positive and negative. Right. <laughs> yeah. you know, even, you know, neurosis, he says, has a positive element to it. So it, it's hard to sometimes sort that out. But um, on the negative side of the shadow is these kind of repressed desires, uncivilized impulses that he talks about, resentments um, that you can project on the other people. And when those are dissolved, he says, you know, by encountering the truth, of whatever, you know, whoever you're projecting on, you actually get to know them and you find out that they're not crazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then it dissolves, it says something more about you. Um, and you can only do this through uh, through self-knowledge, mm. through introspection. But, you know, you look at this tweet from Kathy Griffin, it's like, well, you're projecting a, a very, rep- you know, maybe a repressed desire for revenge, a repressed desire for violence, for resentment onto a whole group of people. Yeah. Is this actually what you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Or is this what they want? Right. Like what, yeah. this desire for <laughs> violence. Like, and this is again the whole you know uh, issue I think people are having with Biden's speech is you know uh, it was very archetypal. If you read through the transcript, it's you know light and darkness. Mm-hmm. Well, and those images with the red background, yeah, right, or, right. Know, making but, its way around the internet. But you know, everyone was like, you know, to be fair, it was red, white, and blue. Yeah. I'm like, okay. But the red was right behind. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like it looked yeah. like Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, it's like yeah. you couldn't yeah. have, you know, you couldn't have put. I mean, maybe white would have washed him out. But yeah. it's like you couldn't have had like more like a luminous, yeah, like yeah. heavenly imagery. It was like mm. no. like dark two soldiers, mm. red. It's like oh my gosh. But uh, you know, but throughout he was using archetypal imagery. You know, despair, hope, darkness, light, mm-hmm. order, chaos, yeah. violence, peace. You know, all these all these things, and they were everyone was saying. But you're just projecting darkness onto the other side, that they choose darkness, you know, but right. I, I haven't. It's like, well. Are you choosing the light? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's like, well, just because, you know, you say they choose darkness, does that necessarily imply you choose light you know, right. in, a projective, in a projection yeah. sense? Um, but I, I do think that there is, um, yeah, a lot of this projection of shadow, which goes on on both sides. For sure. But, you know, this is this takes the form of skate scapegoating Mm -hmm. that's very popular um but it's interesting because the collective shadow is whatever is opposite many times of the current zeitgeist Mm. so in a sense it makes it it makes sense that biden thinks that the republicans are all these things Mm -hmm. because they're the underside of whatever's prevailing right and the underside is sort of the the joker trickster Mm -hmm. figure that's why you have all these seemingly Republican comedians or these conservative comedians Mm -hmm. is because whatever is the opposite is going to be the trickster. Mm Yeah. It's going to be the Joker Mm -hmm. makes fun of the King. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I I think politics has become so serious and so sacred that to make fun of it is almost blasphemy. Right. It can be sometimes. Yep. 
Right. And it, there was a quote. I can't remember who said it. But essentially, like, any power, um, any power that cannot be criticized is propaganda, essentially. Um, mm. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it might have been actually... I think the original quote was, uh, any science, actually, mm. ca- that cannot be questioned is propaganda. Mm. Uh, but I think it relates to power as well. So, Speaking of um, projection, I want to talk a little bit about that Olivia Wilde-Jordan Peterson debacle. <laughs> um, yeah. So she, I read the, the article that was quoting her a bunch about um, her <clears throat> portrayal of the character in her, in her film. What's the film? Um, uh, Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah, that's right. Don't worry, darling. Uh, with Chris Pine and the the Chris Pine's character is based on Jordan Peterson, um, and the quote is: "We base that character on this insane man, Jordan Peterson, <laughs> who is this pseudo intellectual hero to the incel community." Um, just a fascinating example of somebody who probably heard somebody talking about somebody who talked about somebody <laughs> who was talking about Jordan Peterson. Right. right. Like, there's no way that she has like like the seven degrees from Kevin Bacon. Like she's like 12 degrees from Jordan Peterson. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Well, yeah. and, and just, just the term pseudo intellectual. Is that what, is yeah. that what she said? Mm-hmm. He has, he's a legitimate psychologist with what, 30 years of experience. Yeah. More than that. Yeah. Published like journal, peer reviewed articles, books taught for how many decades. Right. That's not a pseudo intellectual. Right. Like, like Jordan Peterson goes up to Olivia Wilde, like, what would it, what would it take for me to become a real intellectual? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like yeah. More books. Yeah. yeah. It was. It was a very like 2016, 2017 critique like mm-hmm. when when Peterson was getting big. Yeah. Um, I think that was around the time, right? I think it was. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Where um, it w- when he was teaching at um in Toronto. Yeah. 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 Well, it's just yeah. like when the Twelve Rules came out, mm-hmm. and you know, yes, everybody yeah, 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 twenty seventeen ish. Yeah. Um. It, I mean, these were the kind of things that, like, Vox was writing about. They were like, look at yeah. him. And even uh, Olivia Wilde said this. It was like, oh, you know, he, he wears, like, a three-piece suit. <laughs> it's like, what does that have to do yeah. with anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it's like the incel, like, edgelord or something. Yeah. I'm like, this is such, like you said, like, like bottom, like, bottom of the barrel, like, criticism here. Yeah. It's like there's yeah. legitimate criticism. And there's, um, you know, there's a talk Pearson even released on his, um, on Spotify, yeah. the Apologia with, mm-hmm. um, I forget his name. Greg, Greg, Greg Hurwitz. Yeah. Yeah. And Jonathan Pajot. And then there's, um, you know, another article you sent me that was really good. I mean, there, there are things to be said, mm-hmm. but calling him like an incel Lord, <laughs> it's like, this is so like an insane man. Yeah, like, this yeah. is so juvenile. Yeah. And like clearly a plea to watch the movie. Right. right. It was like, yeah. like, I need controversy stirred up around my movie mm-hmm. to, for people to go see it. I almost, I almost feel like this article is not worth responding to. Um, right. Because, it, like you said, it's just, it is an insane juvenile accusation. Accusation. Yeah. Uh, to actually respond to legitimate things that could be criticized about Peterson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not always on the mark mm-hmm. um, from my perspective. Uh, this just, the fact that we're bringing it up, yeah. I think we're not like, it's worth discussing insofar as this is something that our culture is bringing up. Yeah. Uh, but like, as it responds to her, yeah. Like with those specific labels, like, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Like, yeah, go I'd, read some Peterson right. before you actually talk about yeah. it. Right. You know, so. I don't, I don't like the, just like kind of the pop culture gossip, like Hollywood yeah. drama of it. But as a cultural phenomenon of like, what does it mean that our stars quote unquote are saying this? about Peterson or, mm-hmm. or have these view about politics. You know, the, um, who was it? Jennifer Lawrence uh, just came out with an yeah. interview and yep. she was like, everybody needs to be political. If you're not political, then like what world are you living in? This is yeah. America. Meanwhile, she's like me and my family don't talk because they're Republican. So it's like, right. all right, yeah. I'll be political. <laughs> I, I'm a conservative. What say you she's yeah. like, out? Right. You know, obviously it's the same Biden thing. It's like, you know, there's many people who are willing to work with Democrats, many Republicans. It's like you mean the ones that agree with you yeah. and your agenda. So it's like Jennifer Lawrence saying like you have to be political, political. But then don't like, talk to your but family. But you have to agree with me. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's a problem. But so it's like you know seeing seeing the stars, the, the supposed people that we look up to as uh, guiding lights. I mean that's kind of like the analogy of or the symbolism of Hollywood stars, and that yeah. they represent these archetypes that they portray in films and such but we've kind of exposed their interior life so much with things like social media and Instagram and such 
now that there's a conflation between who they represent on the screen and who they are. Yeah. And because they're so disconnected, they're, they're portraying a reality that doesn't exist. And so now people who you know, might watch Jennifer Lawrence in a film and be like, wow, she's portraying a really interesting character and, and I, I feel connected to that. But now with the level of technology we have and, the, and social media and such, there's a, a blurred line between what's on the screen and who she is. Yeah. And if who she is so disconnected, then that's not good for society. Well, yeah, and I, that was, I think, the critical trinker um, did a, a video essay on this, on um, uh, the stars, um, like Hollywood stars mm-hmm. and how they've fallen. And he said, like, traditionally, uh, kind of to your point, like, we looked up to them because we saw them as representing uh, heroes in stories. And whenever they had interviews... It wasn't so much about their personal life, but more about the movies. Like they're yeah. promoting the movie, mm-hmm. and so they understood the character. They can speak to the character's motivation. Right. They can speak to the symbology of the character, mm-hmm. and that was it. And so you kind of saw these like great Hollywood actors as these archetypes, um, embodying these archetypes on screen. Uh, advent of social now with the advent of social media, there's a sense of. Uh, it just ruins the 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 polish mm-hmm. um like you know it's the the stars become dull right cuz now it's well you know you're portraying one thing but then your life your life is horrid you know and it's uh it, it's inundated with materialism and yeah. pleasure and it's like where where's the glamour now right and mm-hmm. and that's just become more prevalent as like you said social media has taken over yeah um, yeah it's not to blame it all on social media it's just the ine- inevitability of technology and yeah. progress and well, moving forward in time. And that was, there was, a, remember a few years ago, Brie Larson came out with her own YouTube channel mm-hmm. and that got a lot of flack in the YouTube community because they were like, no, you already have a platform. Right. And now you're trying to be normal and like start a YouTube channel right, and right. like get into this subculture. And I remember the critical, that's actually where I first found the critical drinkers um, uh, videos mm. in response to that a Brie Larson video. But I think that was a really interesting cultural movement where you have these Hollywood elites who are trying to just like, I'm just like you and I'm going to show you my daily life. And look, I'm making coffee like you do in the morning. (laughs) Except it's (laughs) $4,000. Right. Or like, let me talk to my friend like you do. It's like, oh, you know, hey, Kevin Spacey or whatever. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) who's friends? I don't know. I don't know who she was talking to. Not Kevin Spacey. Not not Kevin Spacey. I don't know why he was the first actor that popped into my head. But anyway. um, He's in jail. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He is. (laughs) Kevin Spacey. I don't know why. He's using his one call a week. (laughs) Talk to Brie Larson. Yeah, in his orange suit. Hey. Right. Video recording. Um, no, but th- that idea that uh, they're trying to not only appear normal, but show them, show the world their own personal lives instead of actually yeah. living up to the archetypes that they portray uh, in their art. You know? Yeah, so. and I think at some point, I mean, you, like the genie's out of the bottle at this point. You know, like I do think, I do think that we live in an era where the, a lot of this is exposed, and people are going to be asked about what their politics are and what have you. So it's. It's, you know, it was, it was a t- even like starting this podcast myself, I was like, do I, do I want to do this as an artist and like reveal my thought, my inner thoughts? Right. And like, does that blur um, who I am as an artist? And should there be kind of a veil around that? And, you know, mm-hmm. I've ultimately came to the, like, you know, I'm just, I just, I feel like this is a platform that is a natural growth of where yeah. I'm thinking and such. Yeah. But um, I, I do feel like that the response can't quite be, we have to go back. Because there is no going back. So it's like, no, how do right. we operate forward? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time I've ever gotten hate from strangers on the internet. <laughs> right. Right. It's yeah. real, dude. You know, because, yeah. you know, before if I maybe I posted something on Instagram or Facebook, you know, it's like people who know you yeah. would reach out. But it's like, this is the first time that like someone I have, he's like in Seattle somewhere. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's at Starbucks and he's on his phone. He's, he's on Instagram or he's yeah. on, yeah, he's wherever. And he sees my face and he's like, this guy's dumb. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I don't like this guy. And I'm like, I don't know yeah. who you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it, it because it's, like you said, it, uh, it's creating, again, you know, Jung's um, projection, like all these illusionary relationships that we think that we have, yes. that yeah. we think we know who these people are, but we, yeah. we don't. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't really know Olivia Wilde. Right. And we don't really know, and she doesn't really know Peterson. Mm-hmm. They don't maybe really even know each other. Um, and the internet makes it very hard to know people and 
you know, um, to uh, Jennifer Lawrence's, you know, uh, statement about like, oh, I, I don't really talk with my family and such like that. You know, I think there is a growing disconnect of people, you know, you ask Democrats, do you have any Republican friends? No. Republicans, yeah. do you have any Democrat friends? No. Like yeah. the divide's growing. And it's like, well, for you, the best way to dissolve a projection is confrontation. Hmm. To actually go and know that person. Right. And then maybe you can start breaking down some of these barriers. Right. It's yep. like, actually, you know, it's true. Friendship is based on, I think, common shared values mm-hmm. and common interests. So if you have a friend who's a Democrat and you're a Republican, vice versa, you might not always be the closest of friends. But do you have to vilify them? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I'm it's just, like, I'm not saying you have to be friends with everyone on the other side. Because that's sure. just not possible. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's like actually encounter these people. Yeah. That was the idea behind the university is that we're going to challenge your beliefs exactly. in, in all these very different ways to kind of poke at your ideology and then help you build a, a stronger idea of what yeah. the world is. And that's uh, Peterson's, in order to think, you have to risk being offensive. Yeah. Like, go out mm-hmm. and, and uh, actually communicate your ideas. Yeah. If they might offend, you you know, the idea is not to be right or to prove someone wrong. It's to actually get at truth, both of you. Right, um, right. You might so. not even change, like, in, ter- in terms of your your point of view yeah. or their point of view. Mm-hmm. But next time someone says, well, you know, like everyone who votes Democrat just like wants to kill children. And you're like, well, you know, or, yeah. or something like that. Hey, you, know, you, know. you know, it might be Slow like, well, yeah. right. You know, it's like, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's true. Yeah. You know, you might be able to kind of pull back on some of these projections, mm-hmm. some of this grand, you know, mm-hmm. grand generalizing of people. But I, I just think with the internet and with the polarization right now, that's becoming very difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely portraying a false notion of connectedness, um, it and it's so um, intoxicating. It just it gives you so much information about somebody. You're seeing videos and 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 posts and and long paragraphs and interviews and this that and the third. And it's like I don't know if we're even built to distinguish between knowing a person and getting that much information and they're like, what, what is this instead? Mm-hmm. And you start mm-hmm. to conflate those two things and you're not realizing it's like, you don't actually know the human person on a real sense. Um, and it actually got, that kind of ties back into a little bit of that femininity in that like those uh, feminine virtues of intuition um, of poetic knowledge, those come from that experience of the person as person, as opposed to just information on a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that there is a little bit of a fleeing from those feminine virtues in even human interactions, and it's leading to this very. Um, I mean, you can even in the in the the way that Olivia Wilde portrays Peterson, you could say is almost a hyper masculine, like um, tyrannical judgment on him, and that almost is like too much of a masculine uh, kind of portrayal of somebody, a mischaracter mischaracterizing, um, as opposed to a feminine intuition and and an interaction. Uh, with a human person and then understanding mm. who they are in that way. Yeah. And uh, we're, and we're just yeah. seeing that like writ large on social media, uh, like, you know, from politics to even your friends and you're seeing your friends do this and you're jealous of them and whatever. You're making all these characterizations as opposed to like, well, do you spend time with them? How are they when you're talking to them in person? And, and what is that relationship like? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. I want to go back one, uh, one second to, uh, you know, the Hollywood stars and the Hollywood elite uh, being more public and so their personal lives are a little bit more on display as they used to be in the past. I think the positive to that is that um, we can actually hold them to a higher moral standard now. Um, in the past, it might have been easier for them to have a hidden life. Mm-hmm. And like that dissonance between uh, them portraying um, these archetypes in movies uh, and you know, portraying virtuous characters, and then they were able to just hide and like live a secondary life. That um, that that the ability to hide in a second in a second life is fading quickly. Yeah, it seemed to, um, like it was bound to fail. Yeah, 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 and I think with the advent of social media, like while it does ruin the glamour of uh, actors, it does also it doesn't necessarily have to, and. The way that it doesn't have to is if these these stars actually lived up to a higher moral standard, mm. um, and so I think just just by being on that public display, they have now a choice. Like, okay, like am I going to actually live up to the archetypes that I portray on screen, <laughs> or am I just going to live this double life and everyone sees that? You know, yeah, so. yeah. It's a tall ask. I mean, even on the like the big five personality trait, like they're. 
they're high in openness. They're they're going to be leaning more towards ideologies like what the left is um, offering. Um, so it, it it's kind of it's kind of a tall ask to say like the artists are now going to be moral arbiters. You know, no, like they're always sure. going to be on the fringe like yeah. that. So it's it's going to be an interesting question to see what do we do with that fringe and yeah. how does that operate. Well, I just find it interesting that artists, um, good artists, should be able to portray. Uh, a standard of living or, or at least speak to it, you know, um, uh, whether uh, directly or indirectly. Mm-hmm. And then to step away for the artist to step away from that art and then live a very different life. Um, that must cause some tension in the soul. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a firm believer that like a man can, cannot live two lives. He will come to hate one and despise the other. Right. Uh, and so when artists engage in art, that's good. In a sense, they can't help but being drawn to the thing that they're trying to communicate. Yeah. But then to be able to step out of that and then live a different life, either you're going to come to dis... I think you're going to come to find your art distasteful mm-hmm. or just give yourself overly, oh, over to immortality, uh, immorality uh, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that might actually be better for the artist than the art consumer you know i'm saying like you're being held to that standard you're immediately going to be judged on your character per se um and so that that might cause pressure to make you feel like you're being held to a standard that you should like live righteously i mean like the me too movement um of everything that came out with like harvey weinstein and stuff like all of that was good that it was exposed and like let's get that out in the open yeah um and before social media and, and all this technology all of that was like under under wraps so in that sense yeah that's great Um, but then, you know, it's like a, you know, double-edged sword of like, now you have people that don't know how to distinguish the art from the artists and and, and that, yeah, I feel like that's just always the problem of technology. It's it's a pro and a con and you have questions that have to be asked in order how to, how to navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically related.com forward slash AMA to ask a question. Um, only members will get the AMA monthly episode. That's basically related.com forward slash support to sign up for $5 a month. Um, I'm Matt Hylam on all social media. Lee is Coach Lieb. And we'll call it there. Thanks, guys.